0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. My name is Michaela Turk and I'm joined here with my dad Steve and my brother Ben. And this episode is a special episode. We're going to be reviewing the movie Jaws and we have a special guest host with us today, Mr. Alistair Hughes, all the way from New Zealand. Hello Alistair, how are you?
1: Hello Michaela, I'm really well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to discussing this movie which has had such a visceral effect on, on
2: my whole life, actually. So Alistair, just curious, when did you first see Jaws? We were talking about our age,
1: um, a couple of days ago, Stephen. And, um, (laughs) I was, I was 10 years old when I saw Jaws. And, um, I don't need to remind anyone here or anyone listening that that's an incredibly impressionable age. Um, In fact, if I can just go back a tiny bit further, um, the area of New Zealand that I'm living in now is a very remote uh, sort of coastal town. And, a year before I saw George, I was I was nine, and I picked up the novel, and I mean I was much much too young to be reading that, and I read I think it's the first chapter where Chrissy is killed, much the same way as the um as, as the movie, and that had a devastating effect on me. We we were staying in a in a cabin which was on a spit of land, which was surrounded on three sides by the sea. And you could hear the sound of the sea. It was all around you. And having read this novel um, from that point on at nine years old, the sea just never seemed as friendly and comforting a place as it used to be ever again, actually.
2: I can can imagine that it it would definitely cause you to have some... um nightmares or daymares
1: and it still does
2: (laughs) i remember when i first um saw the movie i was about nine years old you know and it was in the summer of 75 of course um yeah actually i was seven years old seven years old yeah (laughs) yeah and you know it was rated pg you know of course anybody could go see it was it was, was yeah And um, after we saw the movie, we went down to my dad's sister's place on the, on the eastern shore. And, uh-huh. and he left my brothers, my two older brothers and I, down there for two weeks. And we would sleep, similar to what you're talking about, we would sleep out on this um, patio. And you can hear yeah. the water crashing against the things. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, you know, all three of us and my dad had seen Jaws together. And it was just like, oh. <laughs> so yeah it, it, it definitely it definitely adds a more interesting experience to the the movie when you go right to the next to the water
1: it does it doesn't and, and the and the um weird thing is um it's completely changed now but but back then uh in New Zealand we usually had to wait about a year before an international film would actually make it here so I say that I picked up the the novel. Like everyone knew about this film, which was breaking box office records and having people collapse and screaming fits and everything. I mean, everyone knew about the film, but it wasn't until the middle of that year that that the film actually arrived. And it was similar to my experience of uh, Star Wars, for for example. I feel that I had seen every possible photograph, read every possible review, heard every little bit of music associated with the film before I finally got to see it. Um, so the excitement was being whipped up. I mean, um, the holiday that I told you about just then was the school holidays in January of that year. And by the time we all went back to school, Jaws was just about all that anybody could talk about, even though nobody had actually seen the film. So, um, yeah, living in New Zealand can, can can be weird sometimes. But I guess you didn't have too too long to wait at all.
2: Well, that, you know, sometimes you're just lucky. And um, I, don't know, I don't know, I've seen it at, at that age. I don't know if it's luck or not, but... <laughs> It definitely. <laughs> I definitely didn't go out far from the shore um, um, during those two weeks, even though my brother's like, oh, it's okay. And my eldest brother, being the, um, the, um, the mischievous one, Rick, he even bought me a yellow yeah. raft. <laughs> oh, that's evil. And he said, come on, the water's fine.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I wouldn't put it by. I wouldn't put it by one of them having a fake fan that just wanted me to go out there and the <laughs> other one would swim at me from the pier.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a, the that's a part of the film that always cracks me up. But um, I, I'll, I'll never forget actually sitting in the cinema and seeing the film. Sorry, Stephen, it's only now that I finally get around to answering your question. <laughs> actually sitting in, in the cinema and seeing the film. Um, it, it struck me for for lots of reasons. Maybe the first one being that it was the first scary film that I'd ever seen in a cinema. I mean, as I say, I was only 10 years old, and and my experience uh, before then of scary movies was staying up late to watch an old black and white Universal or Hammer uh, movie on uh, TV, all by myself usually, and in my pajamas or something like that. So actually seeing Jaws... I was in a huge cinema full of adults who were screaming at all of the parts that you would expect people to scream at, and I mean it was it was almost an overwhelming experience. It was it was a cinema experience that I'd never had before, and um, I guess as we know in retrospect, um, it changed cinema going not just for us who saw jaws but for the whole world really in terms of the summer blockbuster and all the things that it that it altered. You know, we can get to that later. But um as well as people being terrified, I, I also remember as a ten year old kid that it was the first naked woman that I'd ever seen on screen. Um which I think had an equal impact on me. And it's it's funny, actually. Um, I was reading a, a review, um, an interview um, with the actress slash stuntwoman who played the character who meets her end at the very beginning of the film, and she's 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 quite she's quite happy about the fact that many fans of Jaws, when they're talking to her, will usually drop into the conversation that she was the first woman with no clothes on that they ever saw on screen, and that's the kind of Special place in their heart and a special place in her heart as well. So yeah, Jaws affected us for all kinds of reasons, I think.
2: (laughs) Yes, that that is true. Uh, That is true. Um, Speaking of terror and stuff like that, before we go too far into the movie, one of the things I wanted to bring up to the audience is your excellent book, Info Gothic, about Hammer Horror Films. And, oh, thank you. And uh, you're on the Monster Kid Radio podcast with um, Derek M. Cook talking, I believe, yeah. talking about the book. And then I immediately purchased the book and have been happy with it. You know it's, that I've got a chance to read it and go over it and look at these wonderful graphics and artwork that you've done. And I didn't know if you wanted to talk a, a little bit about that. And you've also done other info graphic type books that I saw, I see on your website.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, look, that's re- really kind of you to mention it, Stephen. Um, um, in, in Infographics was always a passion of mine. Um, I just love being able to uh, present information, sometimes quite complex information, in, in a visual form you know, that doesn't take pages and pages and pages of writing. Um, and my other passion was ha- hammer films. So being able to combine the two was kind of like a dream come true. Um, And I mean, let's be perfectly honest, many, many scholarly people have written about Hammer films. It would be very hard to write something that hasn't already been written. So this was a kind of original way of presenting the information. So um, I make my living as a writer and an illustrator and a graphic designer. So actually combining those three things... um, enabled me to put it all together and do something like uh, Infogothic. So it took up a couple of years of my life. Um, it was a large project, as you can probably imagine, because not only was I writing and researching, but I was also illustrating and designing as well. Um, I was always kind of aware that it would have probably a very niche market, that it's like a a subset of a subset of a subset of... Um, Interest, but um, to my to my really pleasant surprise, the response to it has actually been really, really lovely. Um, people seem to have got it; seem to have got what I was trying to um, do and um, seem to be quite, quite happy. As you were saying earlier, just to to lose themselves for a few minutes or so, just trawling through some of the graphics, looking at the information, tracing my line of thought connecting films and actors and, and plot lines. Um, so it gave me a huge amount of pleasure putting it all together. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see much of my wife for those two years, but she was really encouraging, as she, as she always is. And um, the fact that people seem to like it, yeah, just makes
2: me extremely happy. It was definitely good. And uh, for those that are interested in it, InfoGothic is available on Amazon. And um, not sure. Any other? Is it available in like Barnes and Nobles or anything else?
1: Um, I, I I believe that it, that it may be, um, Stephen. I, I guess especially at the moment, most people are going to Amazon for, for their book purchases. But I believe most of the most of the uh, mainstream uh, uh, bookstores can can definitely get it for for you. Um, it may even pop up in libraries somewhere. I'm 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 not sure. But um, I'm actually working on an infographic for another book at, at the moment, which is about um, the TV shows of Chris Carter, who, of course, did The X-Files, Millennium, and everything else. And I was asked to write a chapter about a TV show called Harsh Realm, which I didn't even know existed. It only lasted about nine episodes or something like that. Anyway, I watched the show and I hated it. (laughs) And I thought, well, how am I going to write about this? I've got no interest in it whatsoever. And then I thought, well, why don't I see if the the publisher will let me do an infographic, if I can approach it that way? Unfortunately, they were on board. So um, I'm doing that at the moment, based very much on the style of something that was an infographic. So it's not only fun, but it can also get you around writing something that you might not particularly want to write about.
2: Well, that's what I like about it is that it, it, it combines both. You, know, you have the visual, you have the the, the, the statistics sometimes, or the the, um, the descriptions, and you can put the two yeah. together. And especially if you've seen those movies before, or in the case of the X Files, the TV show, and yeah. you're able to put those things together, and then you can go to it. Or if you've never seen it before, it does give you, I think, a, a good little idea of what that of what you're going into in that particular movie. And for some people might be like, Oh, you know, I'm going to try and watch that movie.
1: Yeah. Great. I mean, you know, if that's, if that's how it makes people think, then, then as far as I'm concerned, the um, job is done. I'd be, I'd be extremely happy. Definitely.
2: And I believe your, your website is shorelinecreative.co.nz. That's, Correct, yes.
1: It's called Shoreline Creative because, a, as I mentioned, I, I, I live by the sea. Um, when, I, when I mentioned the, the earlier story about me being on holiday and picking up a novel of Jaws at age nine, um, the other thing that affected me on that holiday was that I looked around this amazing place that we were staying and I said to myself, one day I want to live here. So it took me it took me 40 something years but Rose and I finally moved to golden Bay in in New Zealand, which as the name might suggest is a is a beautiful stretch of coastline. We finally made it here two to two years ago so obviously the name shoreline creative the name of my business r- reflects the area that I'm very lucky to live in.
2: Great and um I'm going to turn it back to Michaela. Let's see. I think she's going to play the trailer for us for the movie, and then we're going to get into the movie proper. I know know we've all been looking forward to this, because you and I have seen it before, and the reason I didn't ask Michaela and Ben, because they saw it for the first time for this review.
1: Oh, looking forward to hearing what they thought.
0: Okay, so we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for everybody to listen to.
4: gave him
0: jaws
4: (laughs) this is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel Jaws I just found out that a girl got killed here last week
0: you knew it you knew there was a shark out there you knew it was dangerous but you let people go swimming anyway
5: yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July.
4: Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks in 3 feet of water about 10 feet from the beach? Yeah.
5: What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh an eating machine. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark.
4: Bad fish, but I'll catch him and kill him.
5: Did you hear your father?
4: This sharp. Swallow you whole. You're going to need a bigger boat. That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons of him. Hurry up. He's coming straight for us. Don't
5: screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot!
4: of evil and compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Jaws. See it before you go swimming.
2: Well, there was the trailer to it, and I think it um, definitely holds up today as it did back in 1975. I've got goosebumps. Ugh. Now, Alistair, would you be able to give us, a for those people that have not seen this movie or know nothing about Jaws, which is, I know, hard to believe that there's people out there, but if you can give <laughs> us a, a, a brief synopsis of the movie. Sure.
1: Um, okay. Um, basically, yeah. Uh, a police chief um, and his family have moved to New York, from New York to um, an island resort called um, a- a- Amity. And he's fairly new to, to, to the island and probably expecting a quieter sort of existence. But he has reckoned without the fact that um A very, very large, a 25-foot-long great white has decided to make the waters around the island its hunting ground. When people start disappearing, um, the responsibility falls on the police chief to try and keep the island safe. But unfortunately, he comes into conflict with the mayor, um, whose only interest, is really uh, making as much money as possible for the economy, for the um, upcoming 4th of July celebrations, which means that he absolutely wants the beaches open, people in the water, lots of people coming and spending money. When the shark strikes again, everyone realizes that they really do need to face this uh, danger affecting the entire community. So they enlist the help of a, a rather eccentric Captain Ahab-like figure called Quint, who's played by Robert Shaw in one of his most amazing performances, and also the skills of a very young oceanographer um, called Hooper, These three men, persuaded by Quint, decide that uh, their best chance of overcoming this terror from the ocean is to sail out on uh, a very small boat called the Orca to try and take on the shark in the open sea and uh, end its menace once and for all. So it becomes an extremely tense conflict um, out on the um, open sea, and um, I guess, no, I'm not going to say how, how the film ends. I'm not going to say who survives and who doesn't. It's, it's all part of the pleasure of watching the film. But um, yes, this is a film from 1975, Steven Spielberg's second cinematic film, and um, in my opinion, at least, an absolute classic that everyone should see.
2: How's that? Oh, very good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> One thing I want to say, the, the, the way this came about is um, I talked to Alistair prior to this, and we rolled the dice. Um, we didn't have it recorded, and he rolled drama, and it's, and he thought about it for, I think, a day or two, and you came back mm-hmm. with your jaws. Good. Yes. So... Ben and Mikhail, this is your first time seeing the movie. Um, Alistair and I already talked about our prior feelings and um, about what scene. And, um, what, what was your f- first impressions on seeing the movie?
3: Um, well, before I ever saw the movie, I'd actually seen parts of it. I knew a lot of the famous quotes like, smile, you son of a explosion noise. You know, like I, I had seen a lot of the more famous scenes in the film. I think everybody has seen the beginning of the film with the swimmer at least alluded to in other films probably dozens of times yeah so I I was familiar with the film before I ever watched it and I I, it might just be because I've been watching more horror films recently but I didn't find it very horrific I'm probably never going to go swimming in the ocean again but (laughs) But I wasn't. I was. I've never been a big ocean person anyway. Because I was always like fish.
2: I thought you're going to do the Indiana Jones line with snakes and say fish. Why did it have <laughs> to be fish? <laughs>
3: well, I I always liked fishing, and I always figured sometime they're going to come back after me. So don't want to get near the big ones. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. For me, this was the first time actually seeing the movie was last night. Um, I watched it. But I had seen like the shirts that have the swimmer and then the shark going after it. Actually, my favorite version of the that shirt is it's a sea turtle, and then it's a shark made up of like plastic straw things. And instead of jaws, it says straws <laughs> across it. And so that's, that's my favorite version of that shirt. Um, but I, I'd have to say probably like, I knew the movie was about a giant shark that ate people and that's about all I knew about it except for in back to the future where it has like that part where Marty McFly is in the future and they're by a, uh, movie theater and it's got a commercial for like Jaws 5 or Jaws 7 or something in 3D or something like that. Um, Yeah. That's pretty much it. I think. Oh, except for the song Mr. Jaws. (laughs) That's probably the closest I had ever gotten to the plot of the movie um, before seeing it. But I, I
1: enjoyed watching it. So thank goodness. I'm so I'm so pleased, Michaela. I I, I kind of guessed that Ben would, would probably enjoy it and I know that your dad did, but I was I was really wondering how how, how you might like it. I, I know that um my wife Rose actually always seems to enjoy watching it. When I watched it this time for our conversation. She sort of said, "Oh, not again!" Because I think we'd, we'd last watched it a couple of years ago, so it didn't feel that long ago for her. But um, she found herself sort of sitting down and watching the whole thing with me, and um, seeming seeming to enjoy it.
2: Yeah, I think because um, I've seen Jaws, Jaws two, Jaws three, Jaws four, Meg, Deep. You know, you see all these different shark movies. That sometimes yeah. when you haven't seen Jaws the, the the first one in a long time, I hadn't seen it. I haven't sat down sat down to watch the whole thing for like ten years till
0: just oh, recently.
2: Wow. Uh, you start to blur plot points together on yeah. some, from some of the other movies, and then when you're sitting there, you're like, "Oh, that happened in the other movie. This is what happened in this movie," and then you get drawn <laughs> right in again, and then that, that which is really good, you know.
1: Sure, sure. Um.
2: I'm not sure what
1: what um, made me watch it again a couple of years ago. I think it was it was having its 40th anniversary or something, and um, it, it was in the news again, um, and that was the first time that I'd seen it in, in ages. And I was um, I was surprised by how many shots of the shark there actually are, because of course we all know that um, the the way the film worked out the way it did is because the shark didn't work the three the three mechanical sharks that were built for the film were constantly malfunctioning they could barely get any footage of them and uh, a lot of the the terror is created by suggestion and that music of course um, but yeah I was kind of pleasantly surprised by the number of shots where you do see the shark or you at least see something just under the surface of the water and uh,
2: That's enough to do it for me. I think. I agree, and um, it's. I always like the scenes where you see the um, uh, the yellow barrels. Yeah, the yellow barrels um, (laughs) floating in the water, and and just and just there's the shark. Or when um, the scene where the guys are on the pier, and the pier gets pulled out. And you see the pier turning very slowly as the sharks coming back to get the guy that was on the pier, that's now in the water, and will he make it or not? You know, your tensions rising, and you don't see the shark at all. All you see exactly. is the chain going out, the pier going out, and then the pier turning yes. around. It's great.
1: Yes, I mean it's it's perfectly done because not 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 only can can you see where the shark is. But because of what it is actually pulling through the water, it gives an impression of power and size and immensity without you actually having to see the creature itself. And I think I think that's incredibly clever. But um, to go back to the very beginning of the film, I think the scene that I always find the most harrowing is Chrissy's death. Um, Just watching that poor woman being pulled across the surface of the sea first one direction and then the other and her performance, those absolutely horrifying screams um, without seeing any, any impression of the shark at all, that's an absolutely terrifying scene. And, um, I think a lot of it is down to her performance.
3: Yeah. One of the scenes that I found the most powerful with the shark was the one where all the people were on the beach and the one kid was, like, throwing stick a stick out for his dog. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then the last time you just know that the dog didn't come back and yeah. you never see what happened to the dog, but you know that it was probably the shark that got it and then you see the shark go and get the little kid and it was yeah.
0: like, whoa. yeah, You do see yeah. the, the stick that the dog was chasing just kind of, bobbing along in the water before he goes for the child. That's,
1: that, that's an extremely good point. Um, watching it this time, I saw, I saw the dog and Rose said to me, oh, no, it's not going to get the dog, is it? And I said, I, I can't remember. I honestly can't re- remember because it's all done so subtly that you just get an impression of what's happened without, um, without it having to be seen.
2: Exactly. And, um uh, because you, you know, the owner's calling out for him, and then you see the stick and then, you, and now we all know that the shark is there and then the music yeah. comes. So before the music's even there, you already have that yeah. set up. And, um, well, what, what, what can you say? I mean, Steven Spielberg, we all know is just one of the, the, the greatest directors. So it's, he knows how to set things up and obviously his, his editor and him working together, um, did, yeah. did an awesome job of getting this movie to work very well. Well, they, they, they absolutely did, and I'd sort of be, be interested to hear
1: what you guys think about this. Um, just watching it again, um, although it was made 45 years ago, it doesn't look like a film made in 1975, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, think, I think maybe the fact that Spielberg gambled everything and almost lost everything by filming on the open sea rather than in a in a tank, which the studio wanted him to do. Um, it gives the film a sense of realism, I think, a sense of authenticity, which means that it doesn't it doesn't date. And um, the, the 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 signature Spielberg way of filming dialogue scenes where everyone's talking over the top of everyone else, um, where it doesn't feel like actors reading lines, they're sort of interrupting each other or they're having different conversations at the same time or that kind of thing. Um, yeah, as I say, I think it just gives it an authenticity um, that, that many films that were made at that time don't have any longer.
0: Yeah, it allows for a suspension of disbelief among the audience so that way you, yeah. you feel like you're actually watching something happen. Like if you're just yeah. sitting there people watching and this is just people are just doing this around you um, yeah. instead of, oh, well, I'm sitting on the sofa and I've got my popcorn and I'm just watching a movie <sighs> and this is just not real people. But it allows for that suspension of disbelief, which is important in live theater. And so um, that's kind of where I'm coming from with it, from having done theater classes and stuff where they want you to still, like, even if you're in the background, you still want to be doing something. You don't want to be always watching the people who are actually having the dialogue, you want to be having some of your own conversations as well, because that helps to build the atmosphere that you're trying to create and create a more sense of realism within the piece that you're making.
1: That's, a, that, that's an excellent point. And it reminds me of, of another one of my favorite scenes um, where Brody is sitting at the dining table and he's obviously very, very worried about things that are happening, and he's got his head in his hands, and his young son is sitting opposite him, and he's imitating his father, making all of the gestures and, and, and everything else. And that's a really lovely, really honest scene all in itself. But what I noticed this time is that in the background, you've got Ellen Brody standing in the doorway, watching it happen, and... Her reactions to it as well are, are completely real, and I'm hoping that goes back to what you were talking about Michaela, that you've got um, the different layers of things happening within a scene. you've also got this woman in the background she's barely doing anything at all, but just by her presence and her reaction she's she's adding to the overall um, image.
0: Exactly. Um, Another example would be when at the very beginning, when Brody goes to the uh, supply store to get the materials to make the beached closed signs uh, after the first death of uh, Chrissy, um, you have people like still, there's like a marching band practicing, there's people (laughs) still doing other things, there's people even in the store buying things or talking at the cashier the cash register. So there's still, they've created a whole actual town. It's just, mm. you're seeing it as if you were following Brody around. And so it creates the sense of realism within the movie.
2: One thing, I, yeah. wanted, one thing yeah. I wanted to add to that is that both those scenes, especially the one you're talking about with Brody and his child, because I told them, I was mm. talking about Kale and I are watching Ben joined us for a second time watch. I said, oh, that's just a great scene. Because you can see where Brody starts to realize his child's watching him and then starts to change it to make it more humorous. The sad thing is of scenes like that in a lot of movies nowadays, they don't take the time to do. They don't hire enough extras or people just to say a line or two just to make it more realistic. Or they don't spend the time to let that father-son relationship, which develop or show, yeah, In the movie. And I think that those are the things that are missing in modern films for for the most part. And that's why you, when you're talking about this movie dating, it, I look at it as not being dated, but I can see how things that were done in the seventies, which mm. we used to be a lot different than they are done nowadays was in the seventies, they would take a lot of films would take those time, take that time and be a little bit more of a slower pace. Yes but they yeah. build everything up, and then when they get in movies like this, which they pay it off extremely well. You're you're sure. it rewards the audience for having that patience in the movie, where nowadays everything seems to be the more ratatata, you know, where they want everything yeah. to go really yeah. fast. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean that's a
1: that's a that's a great point as well. And and I've just thought of one other thing which makes the film feel very real to me and that is that none of our leading men (laughs) look like um hollywood leading men they're relatively ordinary looking people um i mean they are amazing actors um i i actually am fans of all three of them from other films that they've done but by no means are they matinee idols um they are men who look like exactly what they're supposed to be they look like a police chief they look like a rich kid oceanographer and they look like a, a barely sane old crusty sea captain um and and I, and I really appreciate that i mean robert shaw who is actually particularly in his earlier films is a very good looking man but even does that thing with his tooth where he takes his front tooth out. And, and you sort of that just adds to the realism of the character. This is someone who doesn't care what he looks like; he's just there to do one thing.
3: Yeah, I was actually going to mention that, and then I was when I was also looking up things about the, especially those three actors. Yeah. So they have like very ordinary heights. Like I believe Robert Shaw five ten. Richard Dreyfuss, I think, was five nine or five ten, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy Schreider. Roy Schreider was 5'9. And that's yeah. like extraordinarily average. And then I was thinking, yeah. like, a lot of other films that were coming out in the 70s and then especially in the 80s, they were using more like people that looked like bodybuilders for male leads. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Ones that had like the flowier blonde hair and the chiseled jaw and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I was kind of like, there, there's really nobody like that in this film where. These all just look like regular people and then the people in the town, although some of them are kind of cheesy they're they're like regular people where you're yeah, like, Oh, exactly. I could see that guy going there and eating his cereal on the pier in the morning. or mm-hmm. That could be the mayor of my town kind of thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I think that goes, Ben, that goes back to the seventies. A lot of the movies in the seventies, like dog day afternoon and, mm-hmm. uh, trying to think of a couple others on the top, but the, the French connection, they had non-traditionally non-traditional actors like the sixties, the fifties, everybody was all good looking and it switched again. Now there are still films with extremely good looking actors in a Robert Redford, Paul Newman, you know, the sting Mm -hmm. and things like that. But the seventies were known as more as a a realistic type movies was, you know, and and I think, I think, we need to go back to that somewhat. You know, everybody's you know looking for just one thing, and they don't look realistic. You know, it's it's, it's you know you want something with that realism that the, that you, uh, both Alistair and Michaela said to have that suspension of disbelief, where nobody's expecting to have, you know, um, like Henry Carvel who played you know played Superman, you know, being hmm. uh, being the chief of police. You just look at him and you would be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, I was just going to say that neither of those
1: three actors would be heading up their their own Marvel movie these days, probably. Um, but it's interesting, Ben, what you were saying about Robert Shaw and his quite average uh, stature. Um, I always think of Robert Shaw as Red Grant, which was the character he played in the James Bond movie from, from Russia with Love. Um. Now, a lot of it is probably down to acting and screen presence, but he comes across in that role as a juggernaut. He comes across as someone you do not want to mess with. And in the climactic fight that he has with Sean Connery, um, in, in these days of very highly stylized fights and wire food and CGI, um, we maybe feel a bit removed from the action, but this fight between Shaw and Connery <clears throat> is two big guys doing everything they can to kill each other with their bare hands. And it's it's a sight to see. So, yeah, I was quite surprised to hear that um, Shaw is of that fairly average kind of height because, as I say, the character he plays in that movie, he's terrifying.
0: Yeah, they're... Um, uh rather normal uh ben did you want to add
3: something um no no i didn't have anything to add Michaela.
2: yeah ben ben just looked uh, up his height on the, the wikipedia and he showed it to me and, he, and he's listed as five foot ten but yeah, as, as we yeah. know with movies tom cruise looks like he's a real tall guy <laughs> <laughs> we know that's not true
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the, the, the point I was mainly trying to make with Shaw is that um, he is an incredibly accomplished actor. And I think a lot of that sense of menace uh, can actually be conveyed with acting talent rather than the number of hours that you spend in a gym necessarily.
2: Well, I definitely agree. All three of them really had worked on their craft. I think Richard Dreyfus by far was the youngest of the three.
1: Um, mm. I think he, he has such a baby face, doesn't he?
2: Yeah. At, at, at that particular time, I think Robert Shaw was in his late forties and yes. Roy Schreider was in his early forties and they've probably mm-hmm. spent 20, 30 years working on their craft. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, I think, as you said, is sometimes missing because some people are so worried about the look that they're forgetting mm-hmm. about, um, the, our appearances—they're forgetting about that inner part of delivering the scenes, and um, the, yeah, and I sure. think that's what they all have, especially Shaw. <laughs> especially Shaw. And, but what one thing that really struck
1: me this time was just how genuinely funny Richard Dreyfuss is. Um, there's there's there, there's the scene when when they're out on the or- orca and uh, Quint has been basically yelling at him the entire time. And um, Hooper is up on top of the orca and he's staring the orca and, and and Quint is yelling orders at him from underneath. And Hooper, in his own quiet way, has finally snapped and he's up there going, Arr, Captain! Arr, And he's, he's doing pirate impersonations because he's obviously just had about all he can take of this bullying, loud-mouthed,
2: captain oh I, I love that scene also because <laughs> because he keeps doing it it's like um it, when people are talking and then and, and the other person can't hear him it's like what'd you say oh i didn't say anything you know but <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly because you know from, from from hooper's point of view i don't think it's in his best interest to directly confront Quint. but he can certainly have his fun when he's out of earshot
2: Exactly. I think it was. I think it was interesting with the boat scenes because you had like um, three alpha males in different ways, in different aspects. And, That's true. And um, how they were how they're going to cope because you can't be the chief of police without or being a police officer without being some kind of alpha. And then of course Quint with the ship, and then and then um, Hooper with um, his knowledge and everything just thinks he's intellectually superior. So they're all coming from. Intellectually superior world, you know, world, world experience, yes. and then um, trying to protect everybody and doing what he has to do, type of thing. And I think it, it was an interesting dynamic.
1: That's 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 really that's really well put. And I think I think that all crystallizes in that wonderful scene um, when they're below decks, uh, just leading up to uh, the Indianapolis speech where they're comparing scars and yes. it seems that Hooper and, and Quint finally bond over their legs. They're gonna to drink to each other's legs. And then they start to sing. And and I think it was also during the making of the film that it was at that point when they when they filmed that scene and you had those three actors interacting so wonderfully with each other that Spielberg realized that he might actually have a good film on his hands.
2: Yeah, because from my understanding, um, Shaw and dreyfus I think Shaw did not like Dreyfus, uh, Not at all. And um, so I think that helped with the animosity they were showing to each other because it was just not there and uh, – you know, for whatever reason, I don't know why they didn't like each other. You know, um, there, there's different stories out there, but you know, yes. you don't have to get along with your coworker in order to put, do a good job. But um, I I was um I was
1: reading uh, Ben and McKellar jump in at any time, but um I was just um listening to um, an interview with Richard Dreyfus, and um, I think in, in retrospect he believes that Robert Shaw was just one of those people who likes to get a rise out of certain other types of personality, but without any true malice behind it. And he realized this himself um, when, um, I think, Richard Dreyfus was um, in a stage performance and he was touring Ireland, which, of course, is where Robert Shaw was from originally. And I think Shaw's daughter visited Richard Dreyfus after the performance I think uh, she might have been estranged from her father or it had been a, she hadn't seen him for a long long time before his death but she went to see Dreyfus just to ask him what her father was like and uh, Dreyfus says that he surprised himself by actually telling her how much he loved Robert Shaw and um, what a, what a huge impact he'd made on him and on his acting career. And he said, you know, to my surprise, I found that I actually meant it, that I did love this old bugger who had given me such a hard time when we were making this film.
3: Yeah, and from, from what I understand, a lot of the actors that were actually, especially these main three Either weren't the first person Steven Spielberg had thought of for the role, or yeah, I believe Richard Dreyfus had, had originally said, like, no, because yes. he had just been in another film. Mm-hmm. I think he had said that it was in Canada and one of the making of documentaries. And then he was watching it and he was like, oh my god, I think I did a terrible job in this one. I might as well <laughs> take this job while I still have offers.
1: Yes, yes, and thank, thank, thank goodness he did. And, and you'll, 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 you'll know as well, Ben, that um, apparently Charlton Heston was very interested in the role of Quint, but Spielberg realized quite rightly that Heston was just too too big. He was too big a name, and he was entirely wrong for the kind of film that he wanted to make.
2: I'm pausing to give them two a chance to say something, and then they look at me. Yeah, and- sure. Well, um, M- M- M-
1: Michaela, I wonder if I could a- a- ask you a question um, St- Stephen knows I was quite concerned about what what you might have thought about the movie Because watching it this time especially um, I was aware that it is a bit of a boys movie It's three 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 guys being three guys out on the sea um, You have... Ellen Brody, who's a wonderful character, and I wish we saw an awful lot more of her. But from a female point of view, I just wonder what what does the film actually have from from your point of view that you that you latched onto that you m- might have enjoyed.
0: I um, more so latched onto the special effects and technical aspects part of it because that's what yeah. I majored in in college. Um, right. So for me, I really enjoyed the uh, fake blood and different effects that people had when they were dying and the how they showed the impact of the shark without the shark actually being there. And then yeah. when they did have the shark, how they were kind of showing that. And that's more so, I guess, what I found mostly enjoyable about the movie was how they were showing that while at the same time not necessarily showing the shark because I just found the, like, the buoys, the uh, barrels barrels. and stuff just to be hysterical. And I Uh liked how the Jaws, the shark, used those to kind of taunt the guys on the boat. And I just thought it was funny (laughs) kind of how he was doing that. Jeez, that's, yeah, that's, that's my that, perspective
1: of it. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. It's almost as if as if this dumb, so-called dumb animal knows exactly what it's doing uh, to get a, a, a reaction from the people it's hunting. But um, for, for, for what you were saying about this suggesting of of the shark, I, I have to go back to that opening scene. And just wondering what it was like for that actress being pulled through the water by, I think it was 10 men, uh, pulling her on a harness with um, ropes or cables and under the water just to get that snapping backwards and forwards kind of motion. And in fact, you know, her screams are just so realistic that some people thought she had actually injured herself, that she'd broken a rib or something and that she's crying out in pain. And during the filming, they just didn't realize. But apparently that's
2: not the case.
1: It's her performance. So I'm really, really glad to hear that.
2: That scene was definitely one that set the whole tone for the the movie, you know, because you knew knew the danger that was going on there. And having said, like, I hadn't seen the film in a while, I forgot that there was a guy that fell asleep drunk on the beach with her. I just remembered her. <laughs> I yeah. When I was watching it, and she ran off with the guy to go skinny dipping, and he passes out on the beach, I'm thinking, "That's right." I forgot all about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes,
1: I think that's about the most fortunate uh, incident of passing out that that anyone anyone could possibly hope for. I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, because I've um Well, I think it was Michaela said, "Why are you going out to help her? He said, Look, because you passed out," and I'm thinking. I was thinking to myself, I'll just add to the body count. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, I, I I was doing a lot of swimming in the ocean this <clears throat> this past summer. Our, our summer ended in, in March, and I was swimming further and further out from from the shore um, with uh, w- with Rose. And to be perfectly honest. Thanks to this film, I'm never, never comfortable being too far out from shore, you know, by by, by myself. But I had Rose with me, and we were kind of egging each other on. So we'd swim out past the 200-meter marker, uh, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're out there and you look back, you know, the beach looks a long, long way away. <laughs> and um, we decided that we'd extend how far we were going. So we'd start by going five strokes out from the 200-meter marker and then back again, and then 10, and then 15, and then 20. And um, I actually said to Rose, which wasn't very sensitive of me, but we were floating out there, and I said, you know, if something was to happen, if something was to come for us, you know that, I'd only have to outswim you. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, that just about ended my marriage, I think.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it is true. It's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like um, we used to say this on camping trips and stuff like that that if you're hiking on a trail and you came across some fresh bear scat, and yes. um, Oh my goodness. Uh, wow. You know, then you switch to your, I'd say the one guy, I'm going to switch to my tennis shoes. And he goes, well, Why are you switching to tennis shoes? You're not going to outrun the bear. I said, I don't have to outrun the bear. Just get out and run you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it, it, it's interesting. As I
1: say, I first saw, saw the movie in the middle of the year, just, you know, the way that film releases worked in New Zealand. Um, but that following summer, it was really interesting to see how less enthusiastic people were about swimming in, in in the ocean. And even to this day, when you're out in the water with someone, all you need to do is turn to them and go dum dum <laughs> and it immediately <laughs> freaks them out.
2: I mean, this movie's been out for forty-five years, and it still has that staying power, that that scare factor, that and because the John Williams score is just that impressive. I think without John Williams doing that particular score, this movie, I think Spielberg, Spielberg said it himself, would only be half as successful.
1: I think I think he's 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 ab- absolutely right. It, it's such a it's such a primal. Uh, such a primal, driving, churning sound um, that, for many people, I think, for, for all of us, perhaps, it represents the shark far better than any animatronic uh, creature ever ever could. Um, but one one of the reasons that I love this film so much is that is that it, it's a, it's an accidental hit, um, in 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 the sense that. Um, the way that Spielberg originally wanted to shoot it, it it just wasn't possible because nothing was working. Um, He couldn't, he couldn't use the mechanical sharks the way that he wanted to. Um, So he was forced to use suggestion, which, you know, as we've said, is helped hugely by that um, unforgettable film score. And, and it suddenly goes from, from being, uh, a film that's trying to make you scared of a big fish to suddenly a film that just makes you fear the unknown and the ocean and what might be lurking just underneath the waves. It suddenly just broadens the canvas um, in such a hugely effective way. Um, But having said that, there's one visceral moment which always gets me. And famously, it was one of the last scenes that Spielberg ever shot in someone's swimming pool, and that's the head floating out of the porthole. Um, maybe I'm just soft, but although I know that it's coming, it just gets me every single time.
2: It a head scene gets me, and um, one of the scenes when the the, the shark is going um, into the boat, so to speak. It always, you yeah. know, it always gets to that little jump, even though you know it's coming, you know, you, you know, you're just like, ah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: That one where Richard Dreyfus is down in, or Hooper is down in the cage and the shark comes and it's coming back from behind. That one gets me oh, every time. Yeah.
1: That's, that's a good one, Ben. I, I, I actually had forgotten all about that until the last time that the last time that I watched this.
3: See, I even knew that. How, was-
1: how, how about. Oh.
3: Like, I had watched the film once. I think it was this Monday. And mm-hmm. then I watched it again last night with Michaela and my dad. And the whole time I was thinking, oh, I'm not going to get scared by this a second time. <laughs> it's not going to get me. And then, sure enough, I was holding a bowl in my hand and I almost dropped
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm he did almost drop the bowl.
1: Fantastic. I think I think Steven Spielberg would be very happy about that. But how how about you, Michaela? You said you found it uh, uh, amusing. Were, were there any moments that got you, that made you jump?
0: Um, I think the one that I remember most that like made me, I guess, jump was when, um, what was it, Brody? was going back into the boat after the shark had really started to like attack them and like the boat was really really sinking at this point. Yeah. And yeah. like I could I could tell that the shark was going to come in through the wall, but it's still it's one of those things it's like you know it's going to come because yeah. that's the logical next step of where the shark's going to come in, but it still exactly. gets you when it pops out because it's like I was expecting it, but I wasn't at the same time, because you yeah. just have like, if you're so into the movie and watching it, you still have that knee-jerk reaction of, "Oh no, there's a shark in my face," <laughs> when there's no real shark there. But
2: yeah,
0: yeah, and that was that yeah,
2: was that's the, right. I'm sorry, that was the scene I was referring to too, where the shark came in, and it always it always gets me.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think, I think it, it says a lot about Spielberg's uh, skill as an, as an editor. I think it, it can just be a matter of a frame either way as to how effective um, a scare like that can, 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 can actually be. Um, but, but, but just going back to what I was saying about accidentals, um, we were talking about Ron and Va- Valerie Taylor and the footage that they got of the real sharks. Um, famously I think they had planned to put a little person into a sort of down cage and to lower that into the waves so that when the sharks appeared the shark would look so much larger um, well it ended up that they had to dro- they, they had the cage in the water without anyone in it and um, for reasons which I forget why, but I think it had something to do with the ferocity of the, of the sharks that, that particular day. So you've got that amazing scene of that shark partially trapped in the, in, in the cage, which Hooper has just managed to escape from. And the shark is thrashing around and it's destroying this metal cage. Um, when they saw that back at the studio, they, they they were almost in tears because, of course, Hooper needed to be in that cage because the script had been written that Hooper was going to be killed. He was going to be killed by by, by the shark. But because the footage was so good, um, and I'm sure that you, you guys may know this, that kind of forced Spielberg to have to rewrite the script so that he could keep that footage in so he rewrote it so that Hooper manages to escape the shark destroys the cage and then of course Hooper reappears at the very end of the film and I think the fact that Richard Dreyfus was such a likable character um, that just gives everyone that kind of Boost that kind of positive uplift, which I think the film really needs, um, and it and it adds to the overall quality of the film. So once again, that's something that was never originally planned, uh, which ended up improving the the um, end product.
2: Exactly, and other things that weren't planned was um Roy Schreider's famous ad lib. I think we need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That, that that particular line just lives on through history, doesn't it? It's just one of those very special lines of dialogue.
2: Exactly. And, and to give credit of the editing, um, Verna Fields was um, the editor working with Spielberg on it, on Jaws. And yeah. um, from what I read, she changed some scenes that were supposed to be comedic to scary, and some scenes oh, that were supposed to be scary into comedic. I don't know which ones yeah. because it didn't. It didn't specify which scenes that she altered around yeah. in that way. But I thought that's how close a scene can be. could be edited from going from horrific to laughing, and in, in just the, how you position the editing of the of the of the, the footage.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, that, no. That's an extremely good, good point. Stephen. She, she absolutely deserves the um credit. I think she, 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 was an older lady. I think she'd been working in Hollywood for a long, long time, and she really knew knew, knew her stuff. Obviously.
2: Um, yeah, because, see. She was born in nineteen eighteen, so that would have made her wow fifty seven. Seven, yeah, yeah fifty six when they were filming. Right. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. And Spielberg was only, was he tw- 27?
2: Yeah, he was like 26, 27, something like that. He was in his mid-20s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amazing.
2: And, um, but, you know, yeah, sorry. Go I was, was going to say, the other thing I wanted to bring out, the cinematography of Bill Butler, um, being able to film Spielberg's vision. But there's one scene yeah. I always love, and it goes back to the scene where the boy and the yellow raft and yes. when you see everybody running, and then they show you Captain, uh, Chief and Police Brody's reaction. Yeah, and all yeah. you see is him, and you could see how like the, the the way they zoomed in to him, it was. just yes. and to see his expression, that was that's it, it. Besides many shots, that's just a great example of of, of an awesome shot the cinematographer did. I'm not sure, if, you know, was Spielberg's idea, his idea, or both of them did it together. It, it's. Hard to say now, but it was, it, it, it still just brought it home because the whole time he's like looking for the shark, looking for the shark. What is it going to yeah. happen? And then he yeah. finally sees it and it's his child getting attacked.
1: It's, a, it's, it's an absolutely amazing shot. And um, I'm not sure if, uh, of the um, technical details, maybe Ben or Michaela know, but um, I think it's a technique that was used by Hitchcock where you simultaneously zoom in but at the same time you're doing something else with the camera lens which means that you're zooming into the main subject but the background remains stationary it's difficult to describe and I wish I'd done a bit more reading but um yeah it's a very very effective technique and of course Scheider's um performance the expression on his face it just at all,
2: doesn't it? Oh, I agree. It definitely does. And it's just, it's one of those parts that a lot of people don't remember. But when you're watching it again on repeated viewing, um, I think like like, like you said it very well when the, the, the Brody and his son were reacting with the facial expressions and he was mimicking at the dinner table that this time you yeah. realized Mrs. Brody was looking in and her reactions. And then you're starting to pay attention to the um, the supporting players of that scene and see their reactions. Exactly. And that really is yeah. something cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, it, it's funny, I guess now, now, now that I, now that I'm older and maybe a bit more sentimental, I find myself feeling sorry for the shark. I, I, I don't know if that, if that, uh, if that means I have issues, but, um, <laughs> The shark's just being the shark, really. The shark's just doing what sharks do. Um, It's the shark's home environment. Um, So as much as I love that final scene where Spielberg makes you wait for, is it five or six shots before he finally hits the air cylinder and the poor old shark goes up, I mean... That's just so beautifully done and drawn out, so that when it finally happens, that's what they call a punch the air moment. That's um, and I and I and I, I believe people did cheer when I saw it in in, in the um in, in in the cinema, all those decades ago. But at the same time, these days, I just have a tiny little bit of regret for the shark. So um, yeah, perhaps it's a good thing to be able to see both sides.
3: I mean imagine how different it would have been if the, if he had done the 70s thing and made it a downer ending and had the shark actually eat him. Yeah. Imagine how much different that would have made <laughs> the whole movie.
1: Or, or or even if Hooper had been in that cage and um, as a, as per the original script. But um I, I I always I always remember seeing it in the c- cinema because um, One thing that makes me a bit sad about living in this country, I mean, I love New Zealand, but New Zealanders tend to be very reserved people. I mean, they they only ever get excited at rugby matches. They only ever express um, emotion in large groups when the All Blacks win but back in the 70s, I think it must have been a bit different. And, and I just remember the cinema audience going absolutely crazy. And as I say, just the fact that everyone cheered and applauded at, at the very end of the film. Things like that just make it, make it a bit more special. Are, um, are audiences still a lot more expressive in, in, in the States, or has, has, has that changed?
3: I think that's heavily dependent on what film it is and, like, how yeah. many people are there. Because mm-hmm. usually if it's not a very filled theater, I find that audiences don't really do much except just watch it and maybe eat popcorn yeah. or something. But if it's, like, uh, Avengers... What was it, Infinity War, where all the characters started disappearing? Mm-hmm. People were, yeah. like, screaming in that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there were people, um, you can hear them crying as the different characters turned to dust. Yep. Yes. But comedies, I think when you're watching a comedy at a, at a movie theater and everybody's into it, everybody's laughing. And, and actually, sometimes it'll st- a joke that might not land normally if you're watching it at home will uh-huh. land because you're with the crowd and everybody's into it, as you are at a sporting event or whatever when yes. you're there and you get that mass experience and everything's going for your team and your, or your way yep. in the movie. It is, I, I think that still holds true. Um, but yeah, there are, but it depends on how, when the move, when you see the movie, like if it's on its first week and I think you get more of a crowd reaction, if it's been out a month, you're going to get less likely to have a big crowd reaction because there's going to be less of a crowd.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, in, in, the, in, in, the, in, in the distant past, I've, I've gone to the cinema to see some of the Star Trek films and wondered why the audience was so incredibly re- responsive and sort of worked out afterwards that because the movie's just opened, the cinema's obviously packed with Star Trek fans, with Trekkies, so of course they're going to be uh, responding so, so much more to everything that's um, happening on screen. But, but, but it really makes the movie-going experience. And, and as lots of people have said in the past, um, Spielberg is a, is a absolute arch manipulator of people's emotions in his movies. And I don't mean that in a sinister way. I just mean that he's very, very good at what he does to elicit the response from an audience, you know, the exact one that he's looking for taking you straight from a laugh to a scream to back again and um yeah i think this is really apparent in uh, jaws
2: agreed you know it, 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 we're all not in their heads which is great for an audio podcast like, oh, <laughs> oh, good i mean you can hear me because my rocks in the head you know making movement but the rest of them were silent <laughs> <laughs> i I'm
1: I'm I'm so used to people disagreeing with me. I can imagine the three of you sitting there shaking your heads or rolling your eyes. So it's good to know that you're not in here. That's good.
2: Oh, we would let the, they would let you know they weren't agreeing with you. To, to trust yeah. me, they, oh, they good, have they're, they're, they they if they don't like something they tell you right away.
0: <laughs> in well, a polite well, actually, way.
2: Can, <laughs> can, can 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 I ask the three of you then? what what, what didn't you like
1: about the film?
0: I'd have to say probably the only thing that I didn't really like was at the very, very end, you didn't mm-hmm. get to see them come back into the town and uh, like see yeah. the people's reaction to the death of the shark. Yes, yeah. And I have to say that's probably the only thing I didn't really like
5: mm. with the
0: movie was I didn't feel that closure from it if you will
1: yeah
2: yeah uh, sure no she, that's a that's a good point it is a good point she brought it up last night i said to her don't talk too much about it. but she goes it just ended why where's more i said well back then mm-hmm. movies just ended that was it you know it's <laughs> yeah. it's done you should be happy you actually saw him paddling back i mean it could just let ended it with the two of them just talking and that would have been it
1: mm-hmm. true yeah how, how, how about you, Ben? Was there, was there anything that particularly stood out for you that you um, didn't enjoy?
3: I would say I kind of realize why they did it this way, but I didn't like the scene where I think her name was like Mrs. Kickner, whose son had yep. gotten eaten by the shark when she slapped um, mm. Chief Brody. I thought that it was more deserved for her to smack the mayor at that point. Mm. And I I feel like it could have been done fairly easily, but Uh um, at the same time, I understand it was, he's the main character really. It was just easier to have her go up to him and smack him. And he's more of a symbol of protecting the public and doing that kind of thing. Yeah. I guess that kind of made more sense.
2: Yeah, Yeah. 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 One thing I want to tie on with that is, the mayor suffers a lot of, cause he was the main, he was like the the main person telling bro to keep things running. But when they did their town meeting, you could hear people mothering before they started the meeting. Like, if we shut down, I'm my, how am I going to kick here my business and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't just the mayor. It was literally like half the town. It felt like wanted the beaches to be open for their businesses so they can make their money. And um, so the mayor being the the, um, figurehead of the group, and going back to what Ben said with Chief Brody, he's the figurehead, or the, not the figure, but the one in charge of safety. So he yeah. knew, and in his mind, that's why he just took the hit, because he knew he should have closed the beaches. He knew it was a shark attack. He knew it was no propeller that killed the girl. He saw the mm-hmm. remains, and yet yeah. he allowed himself to be walked back politically mm-hmm. by the mayor and his, gr- and, and, and his group to allow the beaches to stay open until that boy then. And then even then it would, it just.
3: And even then they only closed it for 24 hours then. Yeah. Because they still wanted to have the big uh, fourth of July party thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, um, and the other thing I want to say, the bounty that they put on the shark and then you see all the people out there in the boats, that was just something it was, I know it was humorous, but I think it's so true. You know, you'll see a lot of these things oh, there's a killer bear and all these people. You mm-hmm. have yeah, the, 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 the hunters that actually know what they're doing, but then you get other people out there that really have no idea what they're doing, and they're either going to hurt themselves or somebody else, which yep. you could yep. see in those scenes. And, he, and actually, we watched the deleted scenes. You could even see it more in the deleted scenes um, with them causing almost carnage out on the water.
0: And yeah. another yeah. part with that that I didn't really understand is people took dogs with them. On the boat, mm. and I didn't really understand why. It's not mm. like they could really do anything Fitch. to a shark.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's
3: true. And I,
2: like, I, I thought I was there for you, were about to say, that's the shark. Go get him, boy! <laughs> go get him! <laughs>
3: Now, I feel bad for that tiger shark. I mean, it was just minding mm-hmm. its own business, and all of a sudden, exactly. like, a horde of people started shooting at it in the water mm-hmm. and going after it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, these are, these are the things I think maybe we do live in slightly more in, in, enlightened times. Maybe it isn't just me. You do, you do now think more about the animals and what they've had to go through to be in a film now. And yeah, you're absolutely right, Ben. I, I actually felt for, for the tiger shark as well. But it, it's funny, in terms of thinking about something that I don't like about the film, um, I must be very heavily biased. I, I struggle to think of something, and I think I'd probably just have to come down to the thing which was very much of its time, and that is that I just wish there were more significant roles for women um i love ellen brody and the in the limited time that she has and i know that the way the movie's structured it probably just isn't that kind of film but i always like to see uh, more significant roles for female characters
2: yeah there is definitely um lack of minority rep- um representation i think there was, mm, sure. there was, a, there was a, a deputy who showed up for the 4th of july thing who was an African-American male. I don't think I saw anybody else besides him. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah. Don't, all he got to do was blow a whistle and wave. I mean, you know, wave traffic along and that's, that's yeah. about it. I mean, but again, mm. as, as you were saying, it, it is a product, sadly of its time. Um Yeah. I would I ever want to see this movie remade. I don't think it could be remade and be, I don't think he could do anything better than was originally mm. done as what we talked You're about right. already.
1: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I think just because, as we've said, so much of it is accidental. Uh, I, I don't think you could reproduce that.
3: They definitely got a lot out of their budget for this film.
2: Mm, sure. Oh, they, they killed the budget. He was given three million and spent nine million. It was just, uh, you know, it just because it shot... Was like um, fifty. It was, it was fifty-five days originally he was supposed to have for shooting, and went like almost a hundred days over because of the elements, yeah. the mechanical yeah. effects. Was three million dollars, and a nine million dollar budget was towards special effects. And um, I don't know what the stars were paid, but it was. Uh, but then again, it made, according to Wikipedia, four hundred and seventy million. I, f- I think yeah. they turned the a yeah. profit. <laughs> yeah.
3: And then the other. Yeah, characters. they 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 absolutely did. I believe they were on like a tight you, you with it, weren't they? Because of yep. the, there was yep. like a writer's strike or something.
1: That's that, that's absolutely right, and they also wanted to 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 catch the wave uh, that the novel had cre- created. They wanted to get the film out there while the novel was still popular. Um, I mean, from, from 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 what I've seen and read of Steven Spielberg. I, 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 I like him. I think he's one of the genuine good guys in ho- Hollywood. Um, so I think the story behind the film is just as enjoyable for me as the movie itself sometimes in that you've got this man who's completely out of his depth literally and figuratively. He has all the odds against him, but Against all odds, he he, triumphs, and that and that just makes the film even more rewarding, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Oh, I agree with you. It's um, I, Spielberg. I look at it from Jaws. I think up to Schindler's List, right around that time, are a lot of my favorite Spielberg films. And then, yeah, for me, I mean, after that, not it's it, it's very hit and miss. Sure. You
0: yeah. Know, Agreed.
2: But a lot of cr- filmmakers go through that. They'll have that creative period of, some of them, it's just a very small period of time of just a couple years. Yeah. Other people, it's 10, 15, 20 years. And that eventually, either times change, tastes change, and either mm-hmm. us, the, the person who's making the films, it's hard to say. Um, not yeah. everybody's always able to keep doing, I mean, I mean how can you keep doing um, blockbuster after blockbuster or great film after great film? It's, 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 it's extremely difficult.
1: Yeah, I mean, which he actually managed to um, undo for for a long time. But um, yeah, it's just not possible to keep that up indefinitely. But one one of the things that I love most about this movie is that um, before Jaws, um, the movies that everyone talked about were almost never what we call genre films they were never, with a few tiny exceptions, they they were never the horror films, the science fiction films, the fantasy films. When when Jaws came along, even though I'm saying it's a drama, and because of what you just said, Stephen, about the scene with the town coming together, I think that kind of proves my point to a certain extent. So although I'm saying it's a drama, I think Jaws is very much a genre movie as well. So in 1975, that film was the biggest thing ever. The following year, we had the Dino De, 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 De Laurentiis King Kong. Now, say, say what you like about that film, but I love it. And I think what a lot of people forget is that it was a huge financial success, and it even won an Oscar. Then the year after that, you had a little thing called Star Wars, which made a little bit of a ripple. Then after that, it was Superman, the movie, and so on and so on and so on. So in, in many ways, Jaws started the trend where it was the genre films that really um, people took to their hearts, which uh, got all of the attention, which justified some of us being nerds all of our lives. and. Um, Really, just changed society in a very fundamental way. I
2: think. Yeah, I agree with you. It was it it, it was the definitely the one that um culture change, you know that, yeah. that went throughout the United States and many places of the world, you know because of what it was what Spielberg was able to do his vision, and um, what what can you say? I mean it's it's it's, it's I mean, I'm, I'm, we might as well move into recommends now. I'm just going to say, I, I, this, this is one of the movies I'd highly recommend anybody see. You know, it's 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 so well crafted, acted, um, suspenseful. It holds up 45 years later. This is its 45th anniversary year. Um, yeah. So I mean, you talking how many movies there are people talking about. I know McKellen Bennell will say, "Oh, that oldie Jaws," and and you and I of course lived through it. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> But what can you say? To me, it's, it's a great film, and um, I'll pass it to you, Alistair, because I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> um, thanks, Stephen. Um, Jaws, as
1: is, is I think I've, 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 tried, I've tried to uh, express, is, is, is more than just a movie for, for me. Um, it hit me at a very impressionable time in my life. Um. But not, not only that, I think it, it hit the world at a very impressionable time as well. It, it, it reformed uh, the movie industry in in a way which catered much better towards people like me and you, uh, not wanting to make assumptions about what kind of movies Ben and Michaela prefer, but it just sort of opened up that world for everyone, that we could then go to the movies and be proud to enjoy the more fantastical things that that we'd always secretly secretly loved. Um, Yeah, it it literally changed the film world, changed our attitudes towards swimming in the ocean, unfortunately. But I think uh, the best thing I can say about Jaws is that for a movie that's 45 years old, I think it's looking damn good.
2: All right, um, Ben?
3: I would say, yeah, I I would definitely recommend Jaws. Even after just watching it two times in the same week, it it didn't really feel any less like an enjoyable film. Like, it's repeat viewing quality. It's definitely there where you could watch this film, like, three or four times in the span of a couple years and still be interested in it and I'll be bored by it.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: Um, I would also recommend this movie. Um, yay! Hmm?
1: I said yay!
5: Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I would recommend it. I don't know if I'll, like, watch it again for several years, but it's not bad. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was good. I think um, other people would enjoy it if they haven't seen it. Um, and if they have seen it, they probably did enjoy it. Um, yeah.
2: So there you go, listeners. Four out of four people recommend Jaws. What a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alistair, I'm going to throw out a challenge to our listeners. If we have hmm. enough feedback... We can bring Alistair back. There are other Jaws films that might not be as recommendable as this one. There's Jaws Two, Jaws Three. I h I don't want to say it, but Jaws four.
1: <laughs> no, <don't say> it.
2: <laughs> but, but we also could branch out to Meg or something else. Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, Deep, sure. Deep Blue Sea. But if you want us if you want us to bring Alistair back for Jaws two, you know, it does have um Roy Schreider back and um you know it's the, probably the more direct sequel of, of any of the, the, the remakes or not the remakes, but the sequels, uh, you know, we, we, you know, if he's interested in doing it and if you guys give us feedback, we can do it and do um, eventually the whole Jaws foursome. I, I'm really worried. I, I, I'm really scared of Jaws four. They, they, I've seen Jaws three. They haven't seen the other Jaws. I know, I know about Jaws four. I've seen parts of it, but I don't think I've seen all of it or I've mentally blocked it out.
1: I've I've never gone there, Stephen. But if that's what people want us to do, well, sure.
3: Is, is three the one with like the mechanized shark, or is that Jaws
2: three? Is in three D, but yeah. three D.
3: Yeah, there's one that I had seen like more of than the first one that I remember looking really bad, but I I like laughed at. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I
2: will admit this is that. Again, having, having blocked out Jaws 4 from my mind, I, f- I believe if memory holds true, this is the best filmed, acted, shot, special effects, everything of all the Jaws films.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Agreed.
0: And, Dad, how can people leave uh, comments or give us input?
2: Ah, you can do it on Facebook at Diecast Movie Review Podcast. we have a Facebook page. You can also email us at Diecast diecastmovereviewpodcast at gmail.com. Ben, how else can they follow us?
3: You can follow us on Instagram at Reviews, and you can DM us any questions or concerns you might have, as well as any comments about the podcast.
2: And, Alistair, I want to thank you again for joining us. And, um, again, how can people, uh, with your website, and you know, if people want to seek out more of the stuff that you do? Yeah, sure. Um,
1: Shoreline. Creative is the name of my business, and uh, you'll be able to find that on online. Um, I'm fairly active on uh, Facebook, and um, always very very happy to bring my ugly Kiwi accent onto nice people's podcasts when,
2: when whenever I'm asked. I said this to Derek M. Cook. I said y- your Kiwi is like ear candy to me. It, I, I enjoy it so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like my voice is, like I said, suited for a silent movie, but that's why we have Michaela. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, Michaela, what, what do we have, um, what are we going to listen to on, as a, on our way out on the episode?
0: Well, we wanted to thank everybody for listening to this episode, and as you follow it to the end, we do have a special treat in the form of Mr. Jaws.
5: We are here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? Dino way! And what did she say when you grabbed her? Please, Mr. Please. I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? How sweet it is. Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? Is the local sheriff, Sheriff Brody? The shark will be back for lunch. What do you intend to do? do a dance, make a love, get down Just arriving is oceanographer Matt Hooper. Sir, if someone is attacked by a shark, what should they do? do the hustle. We are going aboard the fishing boat of Captain Quint. Captain, will you be able to catch this giant shark? I will. Thank you, Captain. Captain, oh, yeah. Captain, captain? Oh, yeah. captain, when you catch one of these sharks, what do you feel like? Like a Rhinestone cowboy. We've just sighted the shark again. He's coming straight for us. Captain Quint is shouting something at him. Get your baby one of these Hey, Jaws, the captain says he's going to catch you. What do you think of that? Uh oh, here he comes again. <laughs> They've hit him. Mr. Jaws, why doesn't anything seem to hurt you? Big boys, don't cry. Big boys, don't cry. He's coming right onto the boat. Mr. Jaws, why are you grabbing my hand? Wouldn't you give your hand to a friend? No, wait. Mr. Jaws, that's not the way this record is supposed to end. Help! 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 <coughs>